This is Jeff Innocence and welcome to the final episode of Smart Casual. We have a brilliant one for you today, but before we continue, I'd like to ask you a favour. If you've been a regular listener to this podcast over the last 10 weeks and have enjoyed it, then there's a couple of things you could do to help us build our audience for when we return with Series 2. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review on your chosen podcast platform. Also, please tell your friends and followers about Smart Casual. And if this is your first time listening, why not go back and check out all the other episodes in the series? We've had some amazing guests in this series, and we are looking to build on our humble beginnings by coming back bigger and better in Series 2. Thank you so much for your kind words and messages of support so far. It means a lot. On this week's episode, we have not one comedian, but two, father and son, Mark and Elliot Steele. We had a lot of fun chatting about a number of things, including the strange and prolific characters that emerged out of the alternative comedy scene, which included, of course, the late Malcolm Hardy. Anecdotes about comedians getting attacked on stage and how Mark and I both tracked down our birth fathers in adulthood. It was a real joy to spend time with Mark and Elliot and a perfect way to wrap up the series. So here it is, Smart Casual, with me, Jeff Innocent, and my guests, Mark and Elliot Steele. Welcome to uh, Smart Casual. I've got Elliot Steele and Mark Steele, who are related. Uh, they're both comedians, but it's not a double act, and we just want to establish that quite early on. Although, is that something, when you're old, Mark, and retired, he might pull you out of retirement and bring oh, you Oh, to do a little double act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Song, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I don't know why I was thinking. <laughs> you don't. Oh, I was trying to think like, of father-son... Double acts in uh, history, and oh, I don't, the only one the I could think of was Smith and Son, who were on Opportunity Knocks. Were uh, they? And what did and they I do? I think the kid played the drums. Oh, you're, do you remember? you're right. He yeah, played yeah, the yeah, drums, yeah. and uh, I can't remember and what the was, dad he, did. No, he, he played the organ. And I remember me, um, oh, God, <laughs> see, this generation, you don't know your ball. No, you don't know about Smith Opportunity Knocks yeah. was the height of entertainment. Monday night, Huey Green, who was yeah. fucking yeah. worse than Savile, in my opinion. And as a human being, <laughs> just a second, we're all right we to swear and, and say people are you worse than that, pedophiles We wouldn't have had Jim Davidson without Opportunity Knox, would we? I think that's where he comes exactly, from. Exactly. There's it? no. Well, there were some really good people come out of it, like Les Dawson. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the ill fated Lena Zavaroni. Yes, indeed. Uh, all sorts of people. Didn't Shawadibody come out of there? Possibly. Have you not, Elliot, you not heard of uh, Opportunity Knox? No, I've not heard. I've, I've heard of Opportunity Knox, but I've not heard any of these people. You know Les Dawson. Okay, now let's just establish who we've got in the studio. So we've got Mark Steele, a, a comedian. We've got Elliot Steele, a comedian. Mark is... Uh, how old are you, Mark? I'm 117. He's 117. Elliot, how old are you? I'm four. See, so... We've, <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've, got, we've got generational... We've got generational issue here. And why would you establish it? I can see this is going to be fun. I'm glad I haven't got an agenda because I'd have to just chuck it in the bin, but... I want you to establish that you're both comedians, and we've got to get this out of the way about you both being comedians. I do know that um, um, Michael McIntyre's dad 
Did you comedian? Yes, he was. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. Know that. Yeah, I don't know who that who he was. Well, he was a producer. More, uh, oh, he became okay. a producer. Uh, he was very yeah, well. He produced uh, Kenny Everett's show. Okay, oh, okay, yeah. which was a pretty progressive show for the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Milo McCabe's dad as well. That's true. Uh, yeah, is one of the old school. Mike Mike McCabe, he was like an old school day. Just go around, right, yeah. Just doing old mm. school jokes about uh, the, like back in the day. They'd be like, people would literally come in and go, "Has any has everyone done the the joke about the two women in the washing machine?" Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep, that's been done. All right, I better not do that. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and that was that was like a back then. You just go around and just you just yeah, did the jokes. puppy and the parrot, mm. whatever. Now that that's right. But I do a funny thing, Jeff. Our sort of we probably share an age, don't we? Roughly. But you know the 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 generation before us. There was like it's funny this because I think I, I don't know, at the risk of sounding pompous, there's no risk. It is going to sound pompous. The sort of when there's a cultural break, it's never as when you look back on it, it's never as much a break as you think it is, right? But it took Alexi Sale, which was I think Alexi Sale was the big rupture between comedy as it was and comedy as it became. That was like a, a break from the, the people who just did the old gags. And then there was this new sort of comedy. It's often sort of very lazily written about as if it was political. It was all anti-Thatcher. It wasn't that. That wasn't what changed. What changed was that now people got up and did stuff about life and about their own world and their own ideas and stuff. Whereas before, comedians got up and told jokes about two women in the washing machine and that's what changed but and so we hated all the other previous previous ones you know when i was about 22 anyone who was before was like oh no they're one of them old ones and then as i got older i sort of have a different respect for them and i think there's one or two of those old comics that were really seriously unpleasant i think manning was he was a seriously foul and sure, human yeah. being. but now i think well most of them like the cannon and ball people wasn't that much difference between? I think if Cannon and Ball were around now, they'd be doing sort of they they they'd have started at the Banana Cabaret and they'd have gone through much the same circuit as what we would. I don't think there's that much difference now. Do you reckon? Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But but when you started, were you aware of being part of a vanguard of changing? ideas and ways of doing comedy were you conscious of that or were you that sort of concept would have been beyond me really i mean there were older people like alexi and tony allen maybe did have an agenda didn't they were you yeah they had an agenda you just happened to be there at the time yeah i think so i think without them probably there wouldn't have been them them Mm. clubs in the earlier but they were mental that's the thing it's sort of (laughs) when you see this stuff now go oh and then people would just gut turn up and do all of their little honed jokes about Norman Tebbit and it was like, what? There's nothing like that. You'd go on, there'd be for you, there'd be a poet who'd, or something, and then there'd be something who'd be just awful. And it wouldn't be poems about politics. It'd be just some awful nonsense. And then then sort of someone would, jug, there'd be a juggler who was a street act, and then there'd be a sort of a, an act who'd just come on and burp or something like that. They were, they were Nuts, these people. I used to do a, a Monday night thing at Little Venice. It's still going, and I still go past this sometimes at the um, Canal Cafe. Remember that place? Yeah, a little, yeah, beautiful yeah. little area of London, Western. Camden, sure. Uh, no, more just down from Camden. If you get the boat on the river, it's beautiful. I, the think, bo- I, know, I think they're taking like a, there's like an improv fringe group they're taking to this year. I, I saw there was like a, I don't know, I saw like a, you know, sometimes if you go through Instagram, 
Yeah. And then you come across like a... Yeah, I think the venue's still... Yeah, still the venue's very yeah. much you still come there. A, you come across like a group of acts and you go, what the fuck is this and how do I get a ticket for it? But not because it looks like... But, but exactly, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but Mark, what, what you're saying is right because all of that sort of thing, I just caught the tail end of that. Even in the 90s, you could still go to Up the Creek with Malcolm Hardy, see Chris Luby doing his... Oh, Chris Luby for people who don't know, he used, to do, he used to do aeronautical impressions. What a magnificent yeah. act that yeah. was. And the thing is, Chris was not... All there was he? I think no, he wasn't. Uh, but <laughs> what what Malcolm <laughs> and the comedy world gave Chris was a life that was so much better than he would have had because <laughs> he would have been doing them aeroplane impressions, except he'd been doing them in a park uh, with, or in with a children, home. with in mothers a, of yes. children complaining, and he'd have been arrested on a regular basis. <laughs> and instead, he would get up stage, and it was it was just magnificent. Uh, for people who don't know, so he would start. Am I, uh, I mean, you yeah, no, we've got plenty of time. So, can you actually do uh, an aeroplane? Uh, no, but I could do Chris okay. Luby. Well, the I? first time you saw him was unbelievable. So he'd get up and he'd have this sort of RAF jumper because he, he believed he was in the RAF, didn't he? And, and I think he wanted us to believe that he was in the RAF as well, don't you? Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But that was because he <laughs> thought he was in the RAF. To legitimize <laughs> so, so just his impression. To, oh, go high. Aim for the SAS. Aim for something that at least probably <laughs> nobody's ever going to yeah, be yeah. able to fact check. Yeah. Just where you, what did you do in the RAF? <laughs> I, I flew planes. What plane? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Yeah. It was. Because, I mean, you're right, Jeff. He wanted us to believe he was in the RAF. But that's because he thought he was in the RAF. So oh, just see, like, yeah. you know, if you work in the co-op, you want people to believe you work in the co-op yeah. because you do. He thought, and he would wear this jumper, and of course people who, if you did gigs with him, you'd be sort of on the way to Bournemouth or something, and he'd be going, ah, oh, Vauxhall Astra at two o'clock and all that, and <laughs> you'd pull in, get that you knew if he was pulling in for petrol, just stepping in for a refuel, and oh, get this bugger back to Blighty on the way back and all that sort of thing. <laughs> he would honestly put, and then he would get up in his act, nobody would know what was going on. And he would get up and say, "It's uh, <laughs> it's 1941. The Nadir for the British. The 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 Nazis are knocking at the door with their perilous Luftwaffe. But no fear, because the brave men, the souls of the uh, RAF, are, and then people would think, what on earth is this? The Spitfire at Biggin Hill prepares to defend our nation. He would. He would And it was." Fucking hilarious. But but he did sound like the planes. The oh, thing yeah. is, I remember that that yeah. was the bit that carried it. He could actually sound like the planes. It was. But there was <laughs> there, there'd be him, there'd be Malcolm anyway. Yeah, yeah. So and Speshacks we used to call them, didn't we? You know, bastard son of Tommy Cooper and all these Speshacks. The bloke who melted a block of ice. Yeah, ice yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, uh, uh, me and uh comic Jamali Maddox, we are, we are like have this uh we love the idea of the Iceman. Yeah. As in <laughs> like to what point are you watching it and you go, oh, he's just melting ice. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. There's nothing else yeah, yeah. to this. And, and, and yeah. who's the guy with the, f the firework uh, up his Oh, eye? Chris Lynham. Chris Lynham would be part of yeah, that. Yeah. So, Well, that's why, you know, last year during the Euros and the famous thing of the bloke, the, the football fan who put a firework up his eye. And of course, any comic from that era was going, yeah. you nicked that, Yeah, mate. yeah. That was, <laughs> that's not even that's, your own material. That's hack. <laughs> but what I mean by, by reminding you of this is that I think you're right in making the connection between what changed and what didn't change is that that's all gone now, and now everyone's very professional, mm. very slick, as they were before uh, alternative comedy. Slightly. On the open mic circuit, there are some legends. And do, do, do you know this guy? You know who I'm going to bring up, don't you? Dangerous T. Yeah. <laughs> Dangerous T. <laughs> Dangerous T is, without doubt, the greatest comedian who has ever lived. <laughs> I've never heard of him. Be 
but but nobody nobody mm. knows. I think now if you follow him on Twitter, like he keeps tweeting that like, oh, they're putting microchips in the vaccine, and uh, Hillary Clinton is trying to shag all the kids. So you're like, oh, maybe he is actually mental. But he he uh, he would do like shows, and sometimes he'll turn up with a crutch. Sometimes he doesn't, and he'd go on. And the thing is, is he's not bad. Like he, like if he if he was sort of if if he was playing a character. It would be funny. So he right. goes on and goes like, oh, you know, when you've got shit shoes. So you go to your brother and your brother goes, fuck off, dangerous. You've got shit shoes. But you're like, I need money so I can buy new shoes. So you go home and you kill yourself and you get to heaven. And you go and walk into heaven and St. Peter goes, you're not coming in, dangerous. You've got shit shoes. And he delivers it in this way that it's <laughs> it's really funny. He can kill a gig. Are they, are they genuinely laughing or is it an ironic... Uh, well, it. The, well, the, it changes. So it starts out as like because it's in some like, tr- you know, over my it'll be in some like East London basement. So it'll be people going like, oh, this is like an avant-garde, and then sure. they go, oh no, this is now not fine for us to laugh at, which then makes it even funnier. So it's to watch oh, an right. audience that like sort of starting getting awkward and thinking, should we contact social services? Yeah, yeah, it's that thing where you, where an audience where you go, oh, this person. That's what's great about open mic comedy is, uh, to, to explain to people listening, think of the nutter in your office who's tried stand-up comedy. He's normal in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> They're normal. So think of, did, did you ever see, that there used to be this guy who just called himself the Cockney Vicar, and he just used to turn up the gigs and go, oh, I'm the Cockney Vicar, come get your, and he'll just, he'll just go, come down here, get two, two baptisms for a pound, and that was it. <laughs> there was nothing else. I'm just, just, just writing that down. The Cockney <laughs> Vicar. But, but it was like, there you go, ladies, I've got Psalms, I've got hymns, I've got chapters, verses, I've got Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. All right, ladies, come on, stick your hands up. What do you want, parables? I've got four for a pound. You've already put more thought into it than he has. That's what's great about it. It's because you'd see him and then you'd see him like, I love that thing where you bump into someone and you gig with him like years later down the line. And they're doing the same thing. Are these the sort of people that are winning the gong shows at the moment on nah, spectacle nah. value rather than I, I, quality? That's I, what I'm assuming is going on out there. I think the gong show, I never did one, but I went to watch it once and I've seen, without doubt, the funniest thing. Do you host them? Have you ever heard No, them? no, oh, no. I've never, um, I don't, I'm not a fan of the, the whole idea of it, but I imagine because sometimes I'll be at the comedy store on a Saturday and the person that won an open spot from doing the gong show gets their reward, which is five oh, minutes. The and they're there and you really look at them and you think, I think you probably won that gong show yeah, because you're a spectacle rather than That's a, bit. a good comedian. And now you're going well, you, to, to walk to your Yeah, tent. no, there is some. Well, what's that story you told me earlier oh. about the person from Cardiff? Oh, this, I was going to say that the funniest thing I've ever seen at a Excellent. comedy show was this guy... So they announce him, he comes on, and he goes, hello, ladies and gentlemen, I've come all the way from Cardiff for this. And everyone just puts the card up and oh, dong. excellent, excellent. <laughs> Two seconds. And, and it was just, it was like, it was, it was so brilliant. It was so brilliant. Oh. So we never found out if he was any good at no. that. Oh, and I can see from the audience's point of view, oh, yeah, that of course, is the yeah. joke. Yeah. I've come from Cardiff, yeah. gong. yeah. That's that's that's, I suppose what that person could learn is right. You, do you think that through a bit? That is going to happen, isn't it? Yeah. Like if that if he if that per was it a bloke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if that bloke had come in here, right? I'm going to start with this. I'm going to say two, and you'd go, mate. You know what? 
As soon as yeah. you say I'm from, yeah. Car- I've come all the way from Cardiff for this. You run a bad oh, risk there. Fantastic. Because, because <laughs> I know sure you'd it. love that. No, Jeff, it is. Jeff loves being a bastard. No, no it's good to be cruel. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but, but I know. What but isn't that? But but uh, but Mark, when you started, there were no gong shows when you started. Well, there? I missed I missed the gong. Alexi used to do a, a oh, gong show, so it did start that. Do you know what I must have? Well, I remember it was that the the sort of. St- Chris Luby story at one of the critical points at it. And I would, if you were to ask me what's the time in your life you've laughed the most, this would definitely be a contender. It sounds, it was, only comics could be like this. So Malcolm, bless him, uh, died as he was, uh, as I suppose he was destined to do, if we're destined sure. to do anything, and uh, in his sort of crazy world. And he was in his mid 50s. And the funeral took place in Greenwich, as it had to do, because he was very much a man of the river and all that. Mm-hmm. And one of the people speaking was Chris Luby, who owed his whole sort of career, really, to Malcolm having that sort of, you know, it was almost like the crazy Simon Cowell, wasn't he? The person who could, you yeah, know, make yeah. it. Right, uh, you know, he'd be, he would go, whereas Simon Cowell goes, you're a little bit not quite mainstream enough, I'll reject you. Malcolm would go, you're completely bonkers, I'll have you. And so he he set up Chris Luby. So Chris Luby spoke at uh, the... Funeral, which was the strangest event. Arthur Smith. I was there. I was there. Yeah. Well, you remember this then. So Chris Luby has got up. Malcolm, when one of our own has fallen, it behoves us all. And and everyone was going, "Oh my God, he's not even breaking character for his mate's fucking funeral." (laughs) And so one has to, in these sad moments, remember that the battle goes on and uh, all this sort of thing. And Malcolm's. Coffin was there, wasn't it, in the middle? And he's carrying on like this for about five minutes and everyone's crying, laughing. And at that point, Luby goes, and so for you, Malcolm, dear departed soul, one final flyby. And I've never heard so many people gasp. No, he's not going to do it. In the (laughs) fucking church, in front of the vicar at his mate's funeral, over his mate's dead body. He's not going to do it. Families and then, in the front row. Yeah, families in the front row. And then... <laughs> oh, my God. I was sat next to Mark Thomas, and we were <laughs> holding each other. I, my stomach was begging it to stop. I was... And, and do you remember the vicar, though, as well? Because he was obviously gay, but now here was his opportunity to come out publicly. <laughs> yeah. He went over the top. He was trying to steal yes, the he, fucking show yes, a little bit, did. as you yeah, remember. Yeah, he he was so did, yes. funny. He, was, he became so camp as the, as the whole event went on, and he realised he was surrounded by showbiz people. Oh, he sorry, loved it. I was in the second car, actually, which I, I love to say, and they, they, sh- they shut shops for Malcolm. People yes, came out of those shops. Goodbye, Malcolm. Shops were closed yeah, as, yeah, as yeah. the funeral went past, and people come and stood outside. What, what an amazing thing! Yeah, well, he was very much a Greenwich, you know, was, sort yeah. of character, wasn't he? And I, I remember Arthur saying at that, that, very astute of him. He said, "In a hundred years, people will be reading stories about Malcolm." I yeah. think that's right. It'd be like you know, like we see char- a Victorian London and so on. There was a character called whatever, sure. you know. And I think that yeah, Malcolm yeah. will be. Uh, one of them people, and and there's so many, but I think, and I don't want to get bogged down into Malcolm's stories, but my favourite one was quite a subtle one, where when he actually died, and his son phoned up the inland, inland Revenue, oh, oh yeah, that one to say, I'm sorry, but he's died, and they went, yes, Mr. Hardy, we've heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it? That's that a beautiful tr- story. Tried you know it, it twice before. <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, you. <laughs> 
<laughs> he had that boat, didn't he? Had that? I don't know if you ever went in his little boat. Everyone I did go in the boat, boat. Yeah, we got it, we got it, it conked out upside, outside Wapping Police Station, yeah, it, the floating it was police the station. safest boat. And I took my kids on there. When I think back now, they were so irresponsible, mm. and we had to get out to get petrol fuel yeah. on the way yeah. in. in Canning Town or somewhere, yeah. and we got stopped by the police. Yes, we did, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess they stopped him every fucking time, you know, <laughs> yeah. because it looked unsafe. It was unsafe. Yeah, and I don't know what my kids were doing in there. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Some brilliant 90s when I was in there, I thought, I know what? a man with a boat. <laughs> Get out, lad. <laughs> Come around and see Malcolm. We can go but, in the tank. He's got a shark. But, uh, but one thing I will say is, uh, is uh, apart, I mean, I, I might have mentioned this before on this podcast, is, is to have being paid in cocaine, where you're expecting money, you go, yeah, oh, I haven't got a lot of cash, well, in a bit of newspaper, not even nicely wrapped. Who did that? Malcolm. Oh, oh no, see, I, I never see, got that. Oh, okay. Um, and, but my my greatest moment in, in, in comedy <laughs> was when I took over on a Sunday, and I don't know if you remember, on Sundays was the open spot night, and uh, so and it used to be packed in there. 200, I can't remember, like, capacity, people going to watch the new act, going ready to heckle, being cleverer than the act, Actually, it was probably a little bit over the top. Malcolm didn't really have a hold over it most of the time. Uh, and But they were very clever. And I remember um, a, a young man, I won't mention his name, but he went to walk to them. This is this standard of heckling, as you probably remember. Went to walk to the microphone, and the audience already have thought, no. So they started going, uh, cab for Fleischmann. Oh, I've mentioned his name. Um so uh, he, he said, no, no, please, wait, just give me a minute to prove myself. Give me one minute to prove myself. And they all went, okay, 60, 59. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the famous one, we always know this, the comic who had the... Is the, this uh, true, do you think? This, this, the Kirk Douglas one, you mean? Oh, the Kirk Douglas oh. one wasn't at the tunnel. Oh, okay. No, the one, the one that I... Uh, uh, I'm sure you've heard, Jeff, is the one, the comic who had a routine about Star Trek. Oh, I don't and, think uh, so. Uh, and someone shouted, it's comedy, Jim, but not as we know it. <laughs> 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 That's fantastic. But my my greatest moment in uh, was when I took over on a Sunday for him, because what used to happen is if the acts were very bad or they wanted them off, they'd start going, Malcolm, wouldn't they, yeah, to yeah, call yeah, him back? Yeah, yeah. And then you get this chorus. There'd be one or two, and then in the end, there'd be somebody going, Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm. Yeah, yeah. I was comparing one Sunday and I introduced the act and suddenly I heard Jeff, Jeff, <laughs> and I thought, oh, it cannot <laughs> oh, get any better oh, than that, you know. Uh, and it's never got any better than that, uh, that, you know. Oh, right, the Canal Cafe. Oh, that's where we were, yeah, right, okay. So, well done. this was, so, uh, Rick, I'm talking now at a time, I don't even want to say the year because it's so embarrassing that I was alive in this year, but I used to, I was given the job of hosting the this open mic night every Monday. I think they used to pay one act and everyone else. And then I used to get 30 quid and it was a Monday and I thought it was, it was Christmas. 30 quid, 30 quid on a Monday. It's like a, some old Tommy Cobble. 30 quid on a Monday, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So I used to go along there and introduce all these acts and that some of them were absolutely, absolutely all over the place. And there was a bloke called Cyril and he could he would had these wild eyes and there was a piano there, and he went over at the piano, and he was just banging the with the with his fist, going ah like that. And I thought I don't know what what to do. So after two or three minutes of this, and people looking really bemused, I went on and I said, "Cyril, you've got to get off." And he, he got quite aggressive, and eventually I had to sort of shepherd him off. But I did think I hope there's a couple of people in the audience who 
can help out here if he sort of decides to take it mm -hmm. out on me because he thinks I'm from outer space or something. But so we eventually got rid of him. And the next bloke, I thought, the next one, hopefully he'll be all right. And he was completely the opposite in his look. He had this sort of suit and a bow tie. And I met, he's, he's, he's called himself Nick Norwood. And his opening line, he went, uh, call myself Norwood because I actually come from Streatham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh look gosh. at me and Elliot actually genuinely laughing <laughs> at that line. I, I, I would have loved that. In an <laughs> unironic way. Yeah, but it's, it's yeah. great to do a bit of local. Yeah. But even yeah. in North London, no, your no. local is now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <he could> <laughs> I know he could have said, I call Nick Maida Vale because I'm actually from, yeah. Yeah. from Ladbrook Road. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so... What's I mean, happened to these people? Where yeah. are they now? So then he says, I'm going to do some impressions. And he started with the Frank Spencer, which was out of date even then. And it wasn't a good fit. It was the sort of Frank Spencer your mum would do. Oh, I'm out of Betty. <laughs> and a bloke threw a chair at him. What, because and of I, the bad impression? Or, they or? just had enough, him and Cyril combined. I've never the seen that before. A bloke threw a chair. I've never seen a chair being thrown. You don't get that anymore. Uh, that's 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 a piece of man. I've seen. I've <laughs> There's a lot that's gone. What? <laughs> furniture throwing is sadly lamented. It was in the old days. I don't know. Do you know you were born, you lot? Oh, I had a sideboard on my head. Wanted to come home with a tube of it. I got. I got told a, a great story about. Uh, that's an axe, isn't it? <laughs> where, Mr. Mr. Sideboard yeah. Man. Where, uh, uh, People uh, come along and put bits of old, yeah. bits of like, unwanted drinks for ten minutes in your. Have you got twenty? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, an hour. It's, it's stretching <laughs> it out. <laughs> I tried it with a wardrobe, but it didn't work. <laughs> I, the uh, one of my photos which I heard about you, Jeff. It it was just it, it just summed up like uh, what Christmas gigs are, and it was uh, up the creek where they do sixty quid all you can drink, lovely at, at Christmas, <laughs> and apparently you turned up. And I you, turned up. Yeah, yeah, and you walked in, and there was just a fight going on. There was just a fight, and you've literally just rang, I think, like Polly or something, and gone. Uh, there's there's a fight happening. I can't I can't go on, and I've gone. Ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't remember that. Right, but, I, but, I mean, I, I I mean, up the creek. I've been there on several occasions where it's kicked off. For, for, so yeah. I, I can imagine. I was uh, at, that did happen. I was at Nottingham Glee once where it kicked off big time. Like a fight broke out in the audience. Uh, Roger Monkhouse got punched in the face. Uh, oh, so so he should do as well, well on a regular basis. Well, that might knock some sense into that man. <laughs> the great the great bit about yeah. it is as we were all Jesus like, "You all right, Christ. Roger?" He was like, "That's, uh, that's, that's yeah, that's take not that the for your pomposity." That's what. There's nothing like the solidarity amongst <laughs> comics. <laughs> oh dear, Roger got punched. Well, in the face. I was just talking Good. to Sam, who, who Sam over here, who, who, who's not who, you can't hear, who, who's in the corner producing this podcast earlier about. About, and I don't want to legitimise violence, but sometimes there are people that you think, you know what, you've never lived in a world where if you say the wrong thing, someone's going to punch you oh, in the face. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I liken it to also having worked on a building site. I think everyone mm. should work on a building mm. site for a year in their life. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think Roger Monkhouse, um, maybe he was one of those people that could have done that. Was his, he got all his building site uh, year in one, one yeah. night. <laughs> oh, it was... It was I got attacked crazy. as well recently, actually, um, at a club. Got attacked by women oh, yeah, uh, who, who um, took offence to me and, and started saying I was... What actually happened is I was doing my act and a woman put her hand up. Now, isn't that a passive-aggressive heckle? Because mm -hmm. you put your hand up and you know that I've got to deal with it sooner or later and I tried to ignore it 
And then I went, okay, what is it? And she went, you're racist. Now, the rest of the audience... I should say for everyone, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows, uh, you, you're pretty much the most anti-racist. That well, I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do sort of uh, inadvertently like. play a game, a sort of Johnny Spate, you know, right. uh, near the mark sort of game where I'm trying to unravel these ideas. And um, they obviously misinterpreted and they were drunk. And there were a few of them, sort of a, a bit mob-handed. They were little white, middle-class teenagers, women. <coughs> and they decided I was racist. The audience now turn against them. It turned into a massive... Once the audience turn against someone, you, it's almost out of your control then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tried to explain, no, you've got it wrong. Just hang around. It'll all unfold and make sense. But they didn't want to know. So they got kicked out. The audience cheered. Then one of them had to come back to get their coat. That was oh, funny. <laughs> that was, uh, and then was the audience... I don't want to... Uh, yeah, yeah, top secret. It's not, not a secret. I, I, I was... If you have given me one guess... Right, we you said there, I would yeah? have said there. They're very young there as well, and they don't always get nuanced stuff. So uh, so they got kicked out, but what I didn't know is, while I was on carrying on, they attacked Mark, the, the, the owner of the club. The police were called. They were taken away. Oh, my God. And they wanted to press charges against me for assault because they, they, they came in and attacked me on stage, three or four of them. That had to be pulled off. Disgusting. It was it was outrageous. Do you um, know the famous another famous story? <clears throat> you know this one, but Jeff Green story. You must know this one. I don't think. I so. think now I, I I might have got one or two of the details of this wrong, but uh, this is pretty this is pretty much it. So it was Jeff Green, and it was back in the Cognito days, and I think it was the Clapham, the cartoon in Clapham. So, uh, someone uh, it was a black woman in the audience who shouted something, and then. Later on in his, a few minutes later, Cognito turned to a different black woman and had a go at her for shouting at him. So, of course, now, oh, we're all the same, are we? We all look alike, do we? So then Cognito was his usual sort of nuanced you know, self and it, uh, it didn't really calm down and it was all a little bit awkward. And then there was an interval and Jeff Green was on later. Uh, Jeff Green did his bit, come off. And then the woman who had been mistakenly referred to for shouting at Cognito, and it wasn't her at all, went over to Jeff Green and punched him in the face, <laughs> thinking he really could uh, <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, do you know what? I that cancel that. That sometimes, <laughs> sometimes don't end racism. Sometimes it throws up gems like that. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> that, I but to, that. Well, we, I was going to say about Top, top Secret, right, it, which is my favourite club to play, sure. is where I probably play. But, like, I love it there. I love it. I love it too, yeah. Um, it has a thing, like, my, ex, my ex-girlfriend, like, whenever I'd speak to her housemates who were people who had moved to London and now lived in Brixton... Uh, and which is fine, it's cool, you know. But they would then tell me about how the area would work. So it, uh, you know, you just I'll just throw something out like I oh, don't, you know, don't go down that alley down there. It's a bit, it's a bit shifty. Don't I don't walk through there late at night. Oh yeah, and it comes all oh right. So as women, we can't go anywhere. Why not teach me? And I'm like, I was I was just trying to give you a bit of advice. Uh, like, and I feel a little bit of that at Top Secret. There's yeah. like this sort of I had it. Uh, these lads were saying I was homophobic, and all, and I hadn't been. I think it's a, it's the youngest audience on the circuit. It's the youngest audience you're ever going to perform to as a comedian. So to be fair, it's a lot of young people with new ideas, working out what they think. They haven't been uh, as well as they haven't know. been. Yeah, the problem is they haven't really been told to shut the fuck up. Uh, well, again, <laughs> I mean, again, it's that punching people in the face. I'm bringing it back. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to bring that. <laughs> but exactly but what's what funny is. is they attacked me, so I sort of, I sort of made a move to get one of them off. 
on the video, it looks like I'm doing this martial arts thing. It's always in a way. But Mark said, Mark said, can we, let's put this out. And I thought, no, if it was blokes, we could have put it out. It would have looked great. Yeah. But because it was yeah, let's women. put out a video of you apparently doing martial arts on a group of women. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll attract yeah, it's not going to look good, is it? And if it went top secret, <laughs> they don't edit the videos not, quite yeah, right either. So, it so they always look good. If they, it been bloked, it would look great. <laughs> it yeah. won't. It won't. They won't start it at where it looks like. They'll just start it with you. But there <laughs> is no fear <laughs> sometimes because people can emerge out of the darkness, can't they? When you're on stage, is it, did you ever have anything like that? You had it from you're, a a very, you're a very hey? opinionated you comedian. A so. didn't you? Do you remember yeah. that nine-year-old who wouldn't leave you alone? Nine-year-old. Well, that sounds really weird now that I've said it like that. But there was oh, a, a tongue puddle. Yeah, that nine-year-old kid. Yes, I'd. F- yes, that's right. Yeah, you yeah. yeah. You, you went down, put the mic away from your mouth, and went fuck off right now. No, I would not to the. No, I didn't. I didn't. I went to. I didn't tell a Those nine-year-old fucking to martyrs, fuck off. mate. Those martyrs. That is. But to be fair, <laughs> always this nine-year-old trouble even now. This nine-year-old shit was a dick. He was wrecking everything. He was running about. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember... Um, was this a gig you were doing? Yeah, yeah. This was the Toll Puddle Martyrs thing. Free benefit thing. Packed. Not an easy thing, because it was about 1,000 people, off, maybe 500 people, maybe in this big tent. Uh, and, um, yeah, yeah. And he was he was screaming and screaming and jumping up and down and everything. And it was the... Uh, yeah, it was it was the parents that I said, can you control your fucking kid? I did. Oh, I right, took yeah. the mic away. Yeah, you know, I didn't say it to the... It's not, <laughs> not as fun a story, though, is it? <laughs> it's not, I know. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You no. kicked him in the head several... No. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Trafficked him to Albania. <laughs> <laughs> fucking I last time I he ever bloody heckled at a gig. Ghislaine Maxwell <laughs> bought him off me. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking good price and all. Hi, British Comedian of the Year, Jeff Innocent here. I just want to take some time out to tell you about my comedy course. It usually runs as six weekly three-hour sessions on Sunday afternoons from 1 to 4 p.m. at the famous Up the Creek Comedy Club in Greenwich, South London. On the course, amongst other things, you will learn how to write original jokes and comedy routines, discover your unique comic persona, study performance skills such as stagecraft, presence, audience interaction and microphone technique, you will also receive constant advice from myself and any guest tutors and have the opportunity to perform your very first gig. It's aimed at absolute beginners and people who are already performing stand-up comedy but are looking to get better. Or anyone who just fancies learning about stand-up comedy. So you don't have to want to be a comedian. But I warn you, you probably will by the end of the course. It takes place upstairs at Up the Creek, which is a fantastic space for a workshop with its own stage and lighting, and it's totally conducive to the studying, discussing, and performing of stand-up comedy. There's also usually a whole social element that develops in these workshops, which is totally out of my hands, where new friends and comedy comrades are made. It's always a very supportive culture. In fact, two of the students got pregnant at the same time at the previous workshop. So if you're trying for a baby, maybe this is the workshop for you. Our end-of-course show with invited audience of family and friends takes place downstairs on the main stage so the students get to experience the bright lights of performing at Up the Creek Comedy Club. And it's all professionally filmed and edited so you get a souvenir of your performance. Now, I've been performing at Up the Creek for 25 years. And it's about time they brought the next acts on because I'm running out of material. Forgive me, I couldn't resist that. You will learn how to write better jokes than that. The point is I still get the same thrill every time I walk on that stage. The most recent course is now full, but they run regularly throughout the year. So for more details about the course and other options, 
please visit www.jevidison.com where there should be a link or go directly to www.innocentacademy.com. Now, back to the podcast. I didn't know about this until yesterday. I thought, well, let's have a little look about Mark still to see what I can find. And that was the thing that, that I like the look of because I was also not adopted, but had a father that I traced and tracked down. And right. also I had a daughter that traced me and tracked me down. Oh, wow. so, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I want to know about your... Is this a recent a recent discovery? Or is this something <coughs> that you discovered years ago? When did this actually happen that you discovered this? Or where does the story start for you? Well, it started when I was born. Okay. And... Uh, what year was that, Mark? 1826. Uh, I thought so. <laughs> so I was... Um, Oh, right. How do I tell this in, in a, uh, just a couple of sentences? So I was always brought up uh, well aware that I'd been adopted, and I'm very grateful for that because I think that the lies are the uh, are the biggest problem in all of these situations, really. If there's, the less lies there are, the less chance there is of anything untoward, I think. So I was brought up knowing I was adopted. I was told that my natural mother... Uh, become pregnant and moved into a flat in West London, not all that far from the Canal Cafe Theatre, moved into a flat there, and her next-door neighbour was the woman who I came to know as, as my aunt. And my aunt was always a very outgoing woman, lovely woman, Gwen, and she'd spoke to this woman who was pregnant who'd moved into the adjoining flat, and... Uh, she said, oh, I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. I've moved in here because I've had to run away from my parents and um, I, I've got no idea what I'm supposed to do. And so my aunt said, well, look, my brother and his wife, they live in Swanley in Kent. They want to have kids. They don't uh, have any chance of having kids. Why don't we just agree that when the baby's born, you give it to them? And in those days, that was pretty. I mean, in the show, I say it was like there, these days. It would there would be more bureaucracy to giving away a toaster, and so I was just sort of <coughs> handed over, and then that's all I knew really. And uh, I do say that also in the show. I my aunt said to me, "Oh yeah, she used to say that the father was French." So I was saying, "But well, when so, did you know these facts?" When, when, oh, when I when? always knew these facts as back, far back as I can remember knowing any facts. Okay. Um, but they were wrong. And they weren't wrong because my mum and dad had told me any lies, but Frances had not told the truth. She'd, um, my natural father wasn't French at all. And I just didn't think about it really. And then when Elliot was born and even more when his sister was born, I thought, oh, I ought to really, for all sorts of reasons, partly practical reasons, mm -hmm. I ought to know, you know, but also emotional things. I understand. You know. I'd really, and I thought she's probably wondering where I am. I guess, so I sort of. In fact, do you remember we went? Uh, I went up the records office in Clerkenwell one yeah, day, yeah. and you sat there. And I can date this because it was uh, Eminem Encore had come out. Eminem Encore had come about, which I, I loved Eminem, and uh, and you took a fancy to it. And you sat there with the Sony Walkman listening yeah. to Eminem all day while I looked for all these records, and. Um, I, th I managed to find her name. I had a birth certificate. A birth certificate? What about this for a cultural shock, right? I looked on the birth certificate. I was born in North London. So... Did you have to change football teams immediately? <laughs> you know, 
Oh, no. Uh, so really, really, genetically, you, you should be an Arsenal fan. Then, or Spurs, maybe. It's not good, is it? So I tried to... Be, I, in fact, I've I looked through all of these ledgers in the... Uh, you, you can get... They're, they're, they're in three-month pit... pit uh, sort of... It, there's a, a great big lever-bound folder for each three-month period... Births, marriages, deaths. I had the name of my natural mother. I had the name of her sisters and of her parents. So I thought, all I've got to do is find a record of any of them having been born, married or died. And that'll have an address and then I can pursue me inquiries. And I spent two days up there going through nothing, nothing, nothing. At one point I did actually mouth this fucking family. Are they all bloody gay and immortal? But none of them... Born, married, died, nothing. And it took about 10, 11 years before I wrote letters to adoption agencies, all sorts of bits and pieces came back and eventually came back from one adoption agency uh, a bit of information that showed she owned a delicatessen in Dunkeld. In Scott Dunkeld made famous as we speak because there's Dunkeld Curling Club from which Eden Muirhead is mm. captain of the gold medal team. Anyway, so that Dunkeld. And uh, so... Uh, with that information, I went to someone who traces people and she found that my natural mother was alive and well and living in Rimini. So we sent a letter and she wasn't interested, didn't want to know, except she did say, so the person I had who rang her said, and she had this marvellous sort of efficient way of speaking, and she said, it really was most extraordinary, Mark. I've never, I, I mean, uh, she, she did, didn't want to speak at all. And I just thought, kept, kept thinking, we'll keep her on the phone. And then she said, I, I would like to ask three questions. And the first question she asked, does he have any children of his own? I said, well, yes, he does. He has a son and he has a daughter. And then she said, what does he do? And I said, well, he's a comic. And then the third question I have to tell you, Mark, in all the many years that I've been performing this role of tracing families, not once have I once come across such a conundrum as she then asked. She said, what are his politics? And that was her third question. Wow. And, um, and then she said, I said, well, I think he's sort of more on the left than right. And then she said... Before I put the phone down, let me tell you the name of the father. And she said this name that then we looked up and he turned out to be a multi-millionaire Wall Street trader who was the world backgammon champion who spent the 60s and 70s in the Claremont Club, which was the gambling club in Mayfair at which a group of very politically minded people knitted together, including, and say including, led by... Tiny Rowlands, James Goldsmith, uh, David Sterling, who was founder of the previously mentioned SAS, uh, Kerry Packer, who my natural father was a close business associate of uh, for 25 years. Kerry Packer was his closest friend. And magically, Lord Lucan. That's amazing, though, isn't it? What did your do to do, Jeff, to just look you up on Facebook? Was it a lot more? <laughs> no. <laughs> a lot more easier? No, it? no, no. <laughs> well, my one was... Um, I grew up with my mum. I had a different dad, but I didn't know that he wasn't my dad. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know. What what was that like, finding out? Well, it was weird because um, I I didn't know, but then you... you, you, But it was that thing about, you know, not lies, but the way things were covered up in those Mm, days. mm. And so I'd be at a family function and one of my... it, it, It sort of got revealed... Piece, piece by piece where an aunt would be dancing with me going, whoa, I knew your dad. And I think, what's she talking about? 
and so I sort of worked it out. But nobody ever, ever sat me down right. and said, this isn't your real dad, this is your real dad. So when my, uh, I just sort of worked it out. It's that thing about keeping things hidden, you know, all that, mm. that stuff. And so I, um, when I discovered that I had a different dad, and then when my the dad who brought me up died, that seemed like a, an appropriate time to, just that natural curiosity really to go and, um, well, I should have worked out because I had four brothers and sisters that were from this dad, you know, uh, who were nothing like me, didn't look like me, and everything was wrong. They're all black. Yeah, everything, <laughs> everything was wrong. <laughs> they were all a royal family in the I should have worked that Nigeria. Out. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, so then I spoke to my mum and she said, oh, look, you know, your dad was, uh, he, was uh, this, he, he was an alcoholic and, you know, so I, we split up and she told me the whole story. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try and track this guy down. Be a great adventure. But actually, I just opened the phone book and the first number I called was the guy's house. So it was, <laughs> it was a bit like what you said, you know, there was no, there was no records office. There was, I thought it was going to be this big romantic journey of tracking him down and maybe he's on the streets. Shortest ever now. episode of Who Do You yeah. Think You Are. Yeah. Jeff's found out yeah. that he's going yeah. to, Jeff's going to try and trace his father. Yeah. So we went to this address. Yes, and me. There was, yeah. Next week we're talk, talking yeah. to David Tennant. <laughs> what, why, why didn't you think of that? <laughs> so, but, so it's very easy. Yeah. What did you say? I was very disappointed about that. <laughs> what, did, what did you say? Did you just go. Uh, well, I phoned side? up. His wife picked up the phone, and I thought, oh, I've got to be careful here, haven't I? So she, I don't know what she knows or what mm. she doesn't know. So um, I got him on the phone and. Um, and he carried on as if I'd spoken to him yesterday. So then I arranged to go around and visit him. I must have been about 25 when this, this happened. And there he was. Uh, it looked exactly like him. How, I, don't, I mean, how weird is that? He opened the door. No, she let me in. And he used to be in the Merchant Navy, so the whole house is like a, it's like a seafaring person. Oh, right, yeah. So the whole house, and he was a carpenter, so the whole house is done out like a ship. Even mm. his dog was called Skipper. Oh, there were sou'westers hanging up in the hallway. So this very posh middle-class white woman came to the door she brought me in as if she was staff he'll be with you in a minute and then this guy walked in and there he was just looked exactly like me sounded exactly like me it was totally totally mad you go i'll do a bit of comedy on the side and then uh, yeah. <laughs> i'll tell you what i went to one place the other day got kicked out for being racist and, that, that, that. And, and so it was great so the adventure of finding him wasn't there but there was quite an adventure getting to know him and finding out all stuff about you so did you, you and you, jewishness you as well jewish as well oh, okay. yeah me. so and then i found out i'm related to a very well-known post-war organized crime figure um so it was very it was very it's interesting nice. yeah it was always handy and to so, know uh, it. Uh, how long did you how long did you know him for then what my real dad yeah uh, well then for the rest of his life up until about Four years ago when he died. Oh. Yeah. When you were quite matey? Sort of. Sort of. I mean, I had that initial that initial interest and, um, you know, and, and curiosity, but it did become a bit of a friendship. And um, every time I had a child, I, you know, I, I took them around there to, to meet him because he's their, their grandfather. So it was all pretty good. And um, just just that freaky thing of um, being so similar to someone and yet not, mm. not being influenced by them or in the same environment. I'll tell you one of the odd things that me, I've got a mate, um, uh, Matthew, who just seems to know everybody. 
And so I'd been sort of keeping him in touch as I was doing my sort of investigations. I was keeping in touch. And I I sort of, and, and Matthew was always fascinated by it. And he seems to know everyone. And one of the people he knows is Charles Sarchi. He said, oh, yeah, I have lunch with him sometimes. <laughs> He's fallen out with him since for political reasons. But he sort of, um, he said, I'm going to mention your, your natural dad's name to Charles Sarchi because he used to go to the Claremont Club. And then the next day, Matthew rang me. He said, I mentioned your natural dad to Charles. Didn't I mention well, in what context? I just said, did you know him at all? And he all went, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you his trouble. He was always trying to be the comedian. Ooh. Wow. Hey. Wow. Hey. And uh, by all accounts, that he was, see, he, even though he was amongst these really quite seriously right-wing political people, right-wing doesn't sort of do it justice, really. They were very, they were of a sort of opinion that the, the, the world, the Britain had gone to the dogs since we'd sort of given up. We, we, we were too kind to the vulnerable and all that sort of thing. And they all believed that they were pirates. They had this great belief that pirates were the people who just went out, took risks and so on. It's why they revered gambling, proper gambling, you know, it's a sort of to win and lose on a toss of a coin and give it, you know, like in the Kipling poem, then you are a man sort of thing. You know, there's something honourable about that. Although because he was world backgammon champion, he skewed the odds very much in his favour because he knew more than anyone else. In fact, I'd pretty, I think there was quite a lot of evidence to suggest that he was, it, it, he played backgammon with Lord Lucan a lot. And I would imagine that's why Lord Lucan lost all his money at backgammon. He was playing against the world backgammon championship. You know, he doesn't need to be, you don't need to be that much of a detective. To well, he learned his out. lesson though, didn't he, Lord Lucan? He did he, learn he, his he, lesson, he, yeah. He, he, uh, you know, good, good to see he figured it all out. Yeah, yeah, he did. So, you know, as long as you learn from your mistakes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and <laughs> where is he now, though? Eh? <laughs> exactly. Well, I do what you know. Uh, uh, Tim, who's a uh, works in a library, not a comic at all. And when I, I saw him that night, and said, when I found out that this guy was mates with Lord Luke, and that was me dad, I said, that you know, what a story. And he just librarian, just he just went, well, it'd be easy to find your dad now. Just find Lord Luke, and you've got him. <laughs> Ooh, good joke, good. isn't it? But then, see, he's not—he's not really been keen on keeping in touch. He's by all accounts, he's someone who like—he's very jokey. I met him. Oh, so he's still alive then? He's very much still okay. alive. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe there's a few of you around. That's probably why he's not that interested. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, that's a good I point. mean, I've that's kept not him. A bad point. That's not a bad point. He—he he acknowledged, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll sure. be my son and all that. And then we did. We met up, uh, and we had a nice time in a posh cafe one afternoon in Mayfair. Um, but he's been very, very reticent. He hasn't told his own kids. I suspect they might have found out because I've done it in a book now, so it won't be that hard. Mike, what about this one? This is the, this story is so utterly packed full of things that are mad. For example, here's just one. So he has four legitimate kids, uh, one of which is 23 now, 24. Yeah, but so don't, don't say the name or anything. I won't say the name, but I will tell you that. Well, it's in the book. Oh, right, well. But she is a supermodel who two summers ago spent the summer going out, especially in Italy, with uh, Liam from One Direction. And so she was all in the in the papers and stuff of uh, Liam's new girlfriend and all that. And so I... It would mention like uh, Liam's uh, Liam from One Direction's connection to Lord Lucan, right, and the stories in the Sun and stuff. And I looked at one of these stories in the Sun, and it said uh, this woman's dad. Uh, she's one of 
five children that he's had. And I thought, oh, no, they've got that wrong. Typical son made a mistake. There's only four. And then it mentioned the four kids. And then me, and then it said comedian Mark Steele is also revealed to be... And I thought, oh, right, yeah. And then in this article in The Sun, there was a picture of the supermodel, then a picture of my natural dad, then a picture of me, and then a picture of Lord Lucan, all in a row. It's like an only connect. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, no, Isn't I it? <laughs> I hope you cut that one out and framed it. Next to Lord Lucan is a beautiful one, yeah. isn't it? I had a, a daughter turn up uh, on, I'll tell you how long ago it was, MySpace. So I don't know how long ago yeah, that is. Yeah, What's about that? Fifteen years, twelve, thirteen well, odd years. Yeah, ago, maybe it is about then. And um, my oh, what, my my mm. legitimate daughter phoned me up and said, "Oh, some girl has just come on my MySpace claiming to be your daughter, or possibly your daughter." So I put off meeting her for a while because the whole thing was quite. I thought this is just mad. So I just had an email relationship, but I knew sooner or later I was going to have to meet her. So we met where she lives, and. I remember my wife saying to me, just do whatever she wants to do. This is someone that, that wants to see you. So I went, okay. So we went for a walk and she said, oh, um, this was really quite sad. She said, every time I came to London, I always wondered if I'd just walked past you. And I thought, oh, my God, this is terrible. So I said, what would you like to do? She said, I'd like you to come home and meet, meet mum. So I had to go back to the very house where before she was born. Where the event had taken place. Where I used to pop round. And uh, meet her mum. It was that was it was a bit like um, you know, like that uh, that that slightly um, what's that what's that detective series where there's a bit of time travel involved in oh, it? Oh, with Nicholas Whatnot in it. Uh, what, what, no. no, oh, the um, the Life on Mars, Life, Life on, on Mars. Mars, yeah. And uh, although I never thought they made me enough of that time travel thing, but it was a bit like it was the same house, and I, I'm sure I had some some hallucination when I looked out and saw my car from the eighties outside. I used to have this BMW three series and. It was just the weirdest, freaky experience. So that's become a fantastic thing, though. Actually, she's just had a baby. I'm now a granddad to a child, speak to her every day. So I've had a, a child turn up. It's great. I do a podcast with Elliot. I find out more about Elliot from when I'm on, the, when we're actually recording it. One day he says to me about we're talking about doing acid. He said, "Oh, yeah, I did acid. What? This is while we're talking." Only about seven times. And then he says, "I did it once in the park, and I came home and I was sat on the settee, and you just thought I was really into the cricket. We were both watching the cricket." Yeah, yeah. but but that's that, but that's why I tell you, acid's a great drug. Acid's like acid, DMT, all of those. I think you, I think you should do DMT. I don't want to do DMT. DMT, I don't know that one. Do DMT, I? it's like um, I've only done it once and never fully broke through. I can't, I can't really explain. I it. I don't want listeners to think that we are condoning no, no, no. illegal don't, drug no, abuse. Nobody, nobody should. Podcast. Nobody should do it. Nobody okay. should ever do this. It's like you, do you know of DMT? Like me. I thought I knew most drugs. DMT, I don't know what it's, that is. It's like um, basically you sort of smoke. You have to take three pulls. But I'll tell, I'll tell you my experience on it. I didn't quite break through. What happened was I met this spirit that was female, but it didn't look like a fit. it was just the energy, and it, it was just like you're not ready to come in here yet. Says uh, like a vegan drug to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hey, no. But that's what do I do? I don't. I don't like that. What am I supposed to do? Who but, do I contact? But, oh, it's your son. 
There must be some authority it's somewhere it's I can contact. No, but acid's, acid's a really cool thing. It's it's like it connects bits of the brain that never usually connect, and that's why you have things that you you sort of can go. That's why people can have bad trips on it, but they usually come out actually quite grateful for them because it's kind of like there's nowhere to hide on it. It shows you a lot of stuff about yourself that I think helps you as a person. And you can whenever you, I think people can go too far down the road with it and believe it's a thing, but I think it's something that if you try every now and then it's actually quite beneficial like it's you know you don't agree no 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 i'm just thinking where's it all gone wrong for you at it oh no it's mad i'm the one on this podcast who hasn't been adopted yeah. and here i am i know yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, i've got a little uh, before we go because we're gonna have to wind this down soon aren't we unfortunately it's been a lot of fun yeah great i'll, I'll carry on but i wanted to talk you. to you about hats i've got this is a bit like i've got an agenda here that looks like Ross Noble's set list. <laughs> hats. You, mm. might, you like to wear a hat. I like to wear a hat. Have yeah. you always worn a hat? Mm. Well, since I was about 20. I like them because they're not essential. Mm-hmm. Um, and now... I you used to wear them on stage? I believe no, I've did, never yeah? worn them. No, no, no. no I, think I don't think they're for on stage. I don't know why. I think... I don't know. They're a bit proppy, aren't they, really? I, don't I think. suppose they are. And, you know... I had a hat stand... I bought a hat stand. On stage. And then I t- put it, yeah, I did a show where I had the hat stand. I just liked the idea of a hat stand. And, and then and I put all different hats on it and stuff. And that was, uh, and then I had one joke where I would refer to the hat stand. And that used to get a big laugh. So I thought, oh, that justifies it. And I'd, oh, I do, I like the idea. Because, you know, I always think sometimes I'm not, I, I try, keep changing my mind about this. Sometimes I think there's something beautiful about the purity of the stand-up mm-hmm. set. There's just a microphone. And that's it. And then the lights go up. Boom. That's all there is. I think there's something glorious about that. On other times, I think, oh, shouldn't there be? Shouldn't there be more than that? You go to see a play. There's all stuff everywhere, there's and you feel. Scene of it or well, I agree mm. with you about that blank canvas, and that's why I get really annoyed when I set up to comedy clubs and there's a stool on the stage. No, you don't want a stool. Oh, I, no, I for people who either want to sit on the stool. Have you seen this? People sitting on stools now to do stand-up comedy. No, leave that alone. Or no. to put their drink on there. When oh, doing, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. You're doing 20 minutes. You're not You're not going to dehydrate in no, 20 no, minutes, no, are you? No, no, I disagree with that. Uh, I like, I like part a, of the stool generation, I like, eh? No, no, that's, uh, I like. Uh, you like a stool, yeah? Like, so I, I disagree with putting a drink on it. I always like putting a drink on an audience member's table. I'm always like, you see, if you're doing a glee or something, that's a nice touch. I, I like that. I think there's that narrows the orchestra pit somewhat. That does. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of like, yeah, uh, like an I'm in yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, sort of go on. Look after that drink for me. That's what I sometimes. Yeah, do. Oh, that's yeah. Like there's that? that sort of oh, this person's in charge. That's right. Like yeah. there's but also there's a connection. You're in the room, aren't you? Talk. That's nice. But there's um. Uh, I was in Eastbourne uh, one night in the show, and it was a really lovely atmosphere. I was like, when I was like, when I'm doing the th- shows in the theatres, the way I can measure whether it's gone really well is when towards the end it's chatty and people are calling things out. And when you've got you know a decent sized theatre and and that, you think, oh, that's all right because it's it's still quite intimate. And I was just about to go at the end, you know, I'd done bit, finished the whole show, and so. I, I think I was even started to walk off the stage and someone shouted, tell us about the hats on the hat stand. And so I did go through the hats one by one and there was all people calling things out. Oh, so you had a hat stand, but with hats on? With hats on it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you talked them through the hats 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 individually? Yeah, you know, I think I tried to make a little joke out of each one, but yeah. You're you're a flat cap man, aren't you, Jeff? Oh, I do wear chilbies and and pork pie hats, but... 
but uh, I don't wear such. Well, yours are slightly more almost fedora style, aren't well, they? That's fedora. The, yeah, the only yeah. difference between a trilby and a fedora is the length of the brim. Yeah. The, so if the brim is over a certain length, then it becomes sure. a fedora. Yeah. But I do like caps. I think what it is is you just get too hot as soon as you put uh, as soon as I put a hat on. It's very hot. Right. So I, I go for caps. Do you do because you, you've got that sort of thing like when I watch you on stage, your style on stage is like. What you're wearing, as what I mean, is you make right. it look like you've not made an effort, but you clearly have made oh, an yeah, effort. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like it's sure. like that's full out. It isn't. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It, yeah, you're right. It yeah. isn't yeah. just I've just thrown this on, yeah. but it's made to look like you've just thrown it on. Yeah, possibly. So I've always yeah. really liked. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm doing a joke at the moment about how it's not easy. You know, it's not easy to carry off that gay fascist combination look. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't just throw this together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, how, it's how, well thought out, which is exact. But you are right. How, I do think it through, and I like talking about clothes on stage as well. Yeah. How How did you feel about tracksuits on stage? Tracksuits. What an entire track like suit. like if I went on in an not for me, but suit. I think it could work for a younger act. Yeah, I I, I've well. I've done that. I've got in uh, grief from comedy clubs before for doing that. Wearing a whole tracksuit. Wearing a tracksuit. And my issue with it has always been uh, if a sort of, and this isn't a disrespect to these people as comedians, like if you were to see like a sort of more middle class, like what you'd see alternative comedian mm -hmm. uh, go on in a tracksuit, then it's like a slight, oh, they've turned up in a tracksuit and there's like a point to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I just genuinely turn up in a tracksuit, it was like sort of I'd, there'd been a few emails that like people have emailed my wow. agent and stuff and be like yeah you can't. Well, Sam that. here, our producer's turned up in a tracksuit. I think it looks pretty good. Yeah, it looks good, but the, I think there's like a like tracksuits like a good tracksuit is you know the it's, problem it's with clothes. Yeah. The problem with the clothes is they can turn into a costume, particularly if you write a lot of material around them. Yeah, that's a good point. See, uh, I d you know, this is where it goes back to the thing about the the old comics, the pre sort of nineteen ninety comics, if you like. And one thing that I think that the, the comedians who came immediately afterwards and broke from that. But one thing they retained from it is that those people were doing a show. They were like, it was a show. The lights go up, bang, music, it's a show. And I, without realising it, I'd very much adopted that. So I, even if I'm doing 20 minutes somewhere, I'd think... No, this should be a show. The music before you go on, everything, it should be set up right. And certainly if you're doing a theatre, it should be. And so if I see someone just wander casually out and it looks like they've not made an effort, there's a bit of me that thinks, fuck you. But what people have bought a ticket here. I don't mind people somewhere wearing a tracksuit if it's deliberate. But mm -hmm. if you're wearing a tracksuit because that's what you were wearing in the day, I think... <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, people, are you having you know, iron mm. your fucking shirt? Where you know where you're. No, I agree with you. But but properly, you know, don't go on all crink or to not yeah. polish your I shoes. I think that was I, part of the subverting of the mainstream, wasn't it? So that was part of that subversion. Was to but not say Alexi Sale was so sort of immaculate. I mean, he was, you know, really with the the tight fit. It's a working class thing with that though. Like yeah, in, yeah, in definitely a way, it's in, a working class thing. It is that. It is yeah. that. My yeah, dad, looking good. My dad, yeah. and he's not someone I would be. You know, my dad who brought me up. He's not someone I uh, I'd be. Um, you know, there are many, many, many millions of things that I, I would happily sort of, you know, not criticise him for, but he, he wasn't the finest of specimens in many ways. But as a working class bloke, you know, he would go up the pub on a Sunday with a jacket and a tie, and it was like being, being presentable sure. sort of thing. And um, I think if you're going, no 
going on stage in front of people, you've got to make it look as if you've made an effort. Don't just, I mean, it's all right. Like Louis C.K. does a bit, you know, we leave aside his other little peccadilloes, but Louis C.K. would sort of get away with it somehow, and I'm not quite sure. Because it, 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 was, it, was, it was, it's kind of like Jeff says, it's quite like, it's maybe engineer's the wrong word, but it's like, it's not, you, it, it's like there's that thing about, uh, you know, that guy who was, I, I can't remember his name, but he was, play, he was, he had a routine where he played the piano badly. And like, oh, Liz Dawson. Yeah, mm. and, li- and pianists would yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, good, pi- good comparison. Pianists okay, yeah, would yeah. always go, oh, you don't know how good he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's to play right, that badly. Point, yeah. It's kind of like that with like, if you, when you see an act go on and look slightly disheveled or doing something like you are with a track, so you're like, oh, I don't think the audience realise how well thought out that is. Do you yeah, know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And it's like, it was kind of like that with Lucy K, where he sort of goes on in a black jumper and some jeans. But there's a lot of thought that's gone yeah. into it, making it look like he's not thought about it. Sure. Well, this is where we started, actually, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. I think this would be a nice place to finish. Sorry for wearing a Not that I want to stage. finish. I want no, this to go on forever, actually. Maybe we could fun. do this again another time. Oh, absolutely, Jeff. Thank you so much for having Hardly us. Hardly started. It's custom for me to ask where you're going, what you're doing, how you promote yourselves. I'm imagining we all know what you're doing, but what have you got coming up, Mark? We, we tend to know what you're doing, whereas Elliot... Well, immediately... Well, work, this. you know, I mean, uh, not uh, not immediately after here. Okay. But <laughs> work-wise, you know, comedy-wise. No, I'm getting yeah, on yeah, the train. Yeah. I'm going well, out to Crystal Palace. What are you having yeah. <laughs> Jeff doesn't I'm like people to, plugging I'm going to have a fish and <laughs> He wants people to yeah. plug <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've got my book out called uh, Who Do I Think I Am, which is the story of the adoption uh, thing, which is, uh, and that, what I've told you there is only is about 1% of all the nuttiness okay. of it. And then I'm about to start writing a new series of the in-town shows, which will be about series number 12, I think. Do you, choose the, towns, do you choose the towns first? Or how does it work? How does that Yeah, yeah. That well, work? me and you, Carl, who's my wonderful producer, who's been with me now for seven or eight years doing this, and uh, we're, we're already discussing which towns to do. And we've you got to Paris, writing. did you say? Paris? Yeah, we're doing, one in, yeah, we're doing a Paris one, and I'm going to do it in English and French. So in the French one, will go out on the on the podcast. Learned myself French. That's fantastic. And uh, that, yeah, so that, that'll all be fun. And then I've got, a, I want to try and write a whole new, what do you mean of this? I want to try and write a, a new sort of stand-up show to start touring in the autumn. I've got a few dates between now and then that wriggledy-piggledy sort of replacements for bloody covid cancelled ones. But I've sort of, um, that's going to be, like, the idea of it is, because I think I really want it to be, I, there's a, there's a very big bit of me that really wants to be very, very mainstream. There's something, I have a great sort of, I'd love to be ITV 8 o'clock, but then every now and again there's something that stops that happening, like I'll call the Queen a cunt, and there's that sort of thing. So <laughs> I... <laughs> And I think I'm very much sort of... Um, you best hope she does not die between now and this podcast going <laughs> Oh, but she, or she's listening oh, to it. Yeah. She, but if I think she would listen. I, yes, I, I prefer Jeff. Some of, some of the other ones are a little bit too highbrow for me. What about you, Elliot? What have you got coming up? Uh, I've got a podcast that I do with another comedian, Michael Odewale. B-Tech philosophy. He's a good guy. I like him. Oh, I like I his Michael. comedy as well. Funny, funny comic. Lovely, comics. natural, conversational style. Yeah. I'm always impressed whenever I see him. And he lives in Dagnum, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's with his mum. How oh, cool no, is that? Comedians living with their mum. He's such a sweetheart. Anyway, yeah, he's lovely. Yeah. I love him, man. 
And what's the concept? Is it just a it's, general chat it's show? Us to, it's podcast? us. We'd like to try and consider us. So basically, we called it Tech Philosophers to have a sort of structure where we're going to try. We're both into philosophy, but we don't really talk about it too much. Just talking, you know, it's kind of talking shit to each other. But it's funny. It's right funny. You're understanding it, Elliot. It was very. It really made it's me a lot of fun. Yesterday. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to do. And like you yeah. know, it's cool. It's cool to you know. I like podcasting. Like especially sure. as like a way of like you know finding. It's a, lovely. It's a lovely thing. I, yeah, I've got one called What the Fuck is Going On. Okay. It seems to be. You know, a lot of people seem to listen to it. I don't quite know what you're meant to do with it then. Okay. But we just like chatting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because there's only so many Radio Four programs you can get on, so mm. it's great for podcasts, really, yeah. isn't it? Which is. And and what about your live comedy? Uh, I put my dates up on Twitter and stuff. I'm just on the okay, circuit cool. at the minute. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that has been Mark and Elliot still in the Smart Casual Studio. Round of applause. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, Thank indeed. You, Thank you very much. This podcast was hosted by me, Jeff Innocent. It was produced and edited by Sam Piconi. Don't forget to like and subscribe and follow me on social media at Jeff Innocent Official on Instagram and Innocent Jeff on Twitter. See you next time for another episode of Smart Casual.